Your ears do not deceive you. You have just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. This is Byron O'Neill for Comic Book Yeti sitting down today with writer David Popose. Um, you're likely familiar with David's work on projects like Scout's Honor, Spencer and Locke, or his Ringo award-winning Kickstarter comic, The Oz. But today we're going to focus on his new Marvel Comics project, relaunching the Savage Avengers. Thanks for joining me today, David. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and uh, yeah, excited to talk all things Savage Avengers. Well, let's dive right into, I'm sure, what is a pretty exciting new chapter for you working with one of the big two? How are you feeling? Oh, I feel great. Um, Yeah, I'm so excited to be working on Savage Avengers, uh, getting to relaunch that. You know, we're we're, we're working in some, uh, you know, following some very big footsteps uh, Jerry Dugan um, uh, and working with like a murderer's row of talent, you know, Mike Diodato, uh, Pat Searcher, um, Kim Jacinto, uh, amongst many other names. And um, yeah, you know, I'm, I couldn't be more excited to be working on that book. Uh, for people who aren't aware of my, my, my work, I like to do a lot of pop culture mashups, um, a lot of sort of uh, genre splicing, a lot of remixing of things you might know and love and, and kind of turning them on their head into something new. And um, when I when uh, I, I'd been in contact with my editor Tom Brevoort for a long time, uh, you know, since the debut of my first book, uh, Spencer and Locke, in 2017, and um, uh, when he reached out to me uh, last summer, saying, "Hey, you know, we're we're looking to relaunch Savage Avengers. Jerry Dukin's gonna be wrapping up his run." Um, my first feeling was uh, panic and terror. Um, you know, I just, I, I, you know, cause it's like getting drafted to the Yankees. And then in this case, you're writing, you know, uh, Conan the Barbarian and a bunch of Marvel superheroes. And you're kind of like, Oh, so that means like I'm playing for the Rangers, you know, on the weekends. And, um, my first thought was kind of like, why me, you know? Um, and, and I kind of immediately realized like that's Marvel's mashup book. Like, of course I would be the guy that they would reach out to for that. And that really kind of got the gears turning very quickly. Um, you know, we're doing our story. Uh, for those who haven't read the solicitations or those who aren't familiar with Savage Avengers as a book. Um, Conan the Barbarian uh, has been spending time in the modern Marvel universe, uh, as well as, you know, back in, in, in ancient times in the High Boring Age. And um, uh, Savage Avengers is sort of Conan's modern adventures. Um, you know, in Jerry Dugan's run, uh, it started off with kind of a, a, a small roster of Marvel's kind of most dangerous berserkers and antiheroes. You have Punisher, Wolverine, Elektra, Venom, Dr. Voodoo. Um, and then it, it quickly transformed into sort of a, a Conan team-up book where he would kind of be bouncing between different characters across the Marvel universe. He had, uh, you know, he went head to head with Spider-Man. Uh, you know, he uh, uh, had conversations with Emma Frost. Um, uh, you know, he broke out of prison with Deadpool, just to kind of name a few things. Um, for our series, we're kind of taking a little bit of a different approach. Um, first off, we have a permanent roster on our on our squad. Okay, That was kind of the first thing that I, I said was, I want to make sure that readers can really uh, invest in a whole team long term, you know, make the Savage Vendors a little bit more of an official thing. Um, and so we've got a really fun story uh, that, that kind of brings this unlikely crew together. Um, but the thing I'm really excited about is sort of we're being able to splice together sci-fi and fantasy in a really cool way. Um, Conan, uh, by virtue of being in the modern Marvel universe, um, he has committed crimes against the time stream. And that is uh, that has triggered um, a death lock uh, cyborg from the future to come and erase this crime. And so it's this really cool sword and sorcery riff on the Terminator uh, with some really fun fan favorite Marvel characters caught in the crossfire. 
Um, and I'm so excited. You know, this is kind of one of those crazy dial, you know, crank the dial to 11 stories that I've always wanted to tell. It's such a fun way to kind of jump into the deep end of the pool of the Marvel universe. And um, yeah, I couldn't be more grateful for the opportunity. I couldn't be more excited for it. Uh, I'm working with artist Carlos Magno on the book and he is just, he's, uh, he's like Phil Jimenez by way of uh, Brian Hitch. Um, just this really muscular, dynamic, detailed style. That's all Carlos's own. Um, and he's, he's a Conan super fan. So he was so excited to take on this book. And um, I think we're doing some really cool stuff together. Um, and so I'm really excited to get to talk about it. Yeah, I really enjoyed Jerry's, Jerry's run. I followed that. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'm really looking forward to where you take this rather motley group. I mean, most of the group has changed. And as I understand it, you were giving a pretty long creative leash by Marvel to put together this new incarnation. So who we got in there this time around and why did you pick them? Yeah, well, um, so yeah, you, you, you hit it right on the head. Um, you know, it's one of those things. Uh, working with editor Tom Bravewort and um, our, our editors, Annalise Bisa and Martin Biro. Um, I can't say enough good things about working with them. Um, they've really, they've hit this really nice sweet spot for me anyway, where they kind of give me a pretty long leash. Um, you know, there's, I can count on one hand the number of times they've said, hey, that's not going to work out for X, Y, Z reason. Usually dealing with sort of the traffic grid of the continuity of it all. Right. Um, so yeah, you know, it was one of those things. Um, when I put this squad together, and I guess I should say who the squad is. Um, we've got uh, Electra Nachos as the all-new Daredevil, um, teaming up with Conan again. She's an original Savage Avenger. Um, Flash Thompson returning as uh, Anti-Venom, mm -hmm. um, from fresh off of his uh, resurrection in King of Black. Uh, Dane Whitman uh, coming back as the Black Knight, um, getting a veteran Avengers presence on the, on the team. Um, Weapon H, uh, that I thought was kind of a cool out-of-left-field choice um, for those who don't know who he is, he's uh, a soldier who was experimented on. He's basically half Wolverine, half Hulk. Um, so two of the most savage lineages of the Marvel Universe altogether in one character. Um, and then uh, finally, uh, capping it off is uh, Cloak and Dagger, um, who are two characters who I have loved for a very long time, who I've wanted to be Avengers for a very long time. And so I'm thrilled that I'm the guy that finally gets to do it. Um, and so, uh, yeah, you know, that the, the way the cast came together, um, you know, some of it was kind of as a reaction, um, you know, to Jerry Dugan's original cast. You know, they're they're they were kind of like um, almost like the Bendis Avengers. You know, where it's sort of these are the iconic antiheroes of the Marvel universe. Um, sure, Wolverine, Venom, um, uh, Punisher, Elektra, uh, Doctor Voodoo, and so for me, I wanted to kind of uh, speak to that as much as I could. And so, you know, you have Elektra back in the mix, um, but now she's Daredevil. So it's kind of a cool new status quo for her to explore. Um, you have Weapon H sort of filling that Wolverine, but also that Hulk role, which they never had a Hulk on that team. Um, Anti-Venom serving as kind of this bridge between Venom and Spider-Man because he's able to switch between that Agent Venom look, which is sort of streamlined and more agile versus the more feral look, which is sort of a big bruiser um, that, you know, the Venom we all know and love. I also wanted to add a little bit of a sword and sorcery element to it all. And that's where Black Knight and Cloak and Dagger came to the mix. Um, when I was putting this team together, um, it was right, it was shortly before uh, the Eternals movie came out. Um, I think Suicide, the Suicide Squad had just come out. And so I was kind of like, you know, Black Knight's having a moment. Um, let's, let's capitalize on that. 
And I thought, you know, I've been a big fan of his for a long time. Um, you know, I love the leather jacket and the lightsaber. And uh, I will say the leather jacket is the one thing, uh, is, is one of the very small handful of things I couldn't get over the plate. They were just like, we have a new Black Knight design, use it. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I thought it, that kind of cemented things a little bit, you know, having that veteran Avengers presence, it's a wealth of continuity knowledge that makes it kind of easy to say, oh, the Avengers files, no, X, Y, and Z. And, um, and then, yeah, Cloak and Dagger, um, I've been a huge fan of theirs. I mean, I, I grew up in the 90s, so Maximum Carnage, you know, that, that's in my DNA. But um, reading uh, Civil War and uh, Matt Fraction's uh, Dark Avengers uh, uh, X-Men Utopia series, it really cemented to me that uh, uh, Tyrone and Tandy, they have so much potential to them as characters, um, both just in terms of their will they or won't they dynamic as both partners in the crime fighting sense, but also the romantic sense, sure. but also just the implications of their powers. And that's something that we're really diving into in a fun way um, is that, for example, if Dagger creates light daggers using the light force, what else can she make? Uh, and are there ways for Cloak to really finesse the dark force in a way that really lets him manipulate his environment in really cool ways? Um, you know, he's sort of fighting with portals in a lot of ways, and that's very cool. And that sort of offers us some really cool opportunities. So um, I, it's funny, I, I always say, um, when I was teaching myself how to write, and this was back in 2009, um, a way I did it, I wrote fan scripts, you know, of some of my favorite characters. I wrote uh, Shazam, I wrote Doctor Strange, and I wrote The Avengers. And Cloak, Dagger, and, and, uh, and, and uh, Daredevil were on my roster. So it kind of feels like, I always say, you know, keep writing, dreams do sometimes come true. And um, this team, it's just, uh, you wouldn't know it, you know, just on paper, but you see them together and they really jam out in a really cool way. Um, some of those series that I always say is, is kind of comp titles for this, you know, there's Al Ewing's Mighty Avengers, which I think was a huge inspiration behind this book. Um, Rick Remender's Uncanny X-Force, even his work on Uncanny Avengers, um, I think kind of informs this book a bit. Um, as well as Grant Morrison's JLA. I think their work on that is just, you know, uh, really had a huge impact on me uh, growing up. And um, finding these interesting kind of character dynamics and watching the characters bounce off of each other. Um, they are in this book for the long haul. These are the Savage Avengers. They will be the Savage Avengers for as long as I get to write this book. So um, it's really fun kind of being able to really kind of build up some of these plot points and some of the soap opera and getting to see uh, interesting overlap between uh, all these different characters as they form into a, a cohesive unit. Well, I got to say, one of the refreshing aspects for me was moving away from, you know, the mainstream title or, you know, holders, Wolverine, the Punisher, Venom, yeah. you know, to some of these lesser known faces in the Marvel pantheon. So did yeah. going that direction give you kind of more free reign, more? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, it, you know, it's it was one of those things. So much of, of this book was, you know, knowing that Jerry had done such an incredible job on the, on the first volume and saying, okay, knowing what Jerry has done, what can we do that we don't retread that, you know, that we sort of speak to the spirit of, of what he was going for in this book, but to give us our own unique voice and identity. And um, I do think some of that was sort of self-selecting, um, you know, and, and some of that was, you know, like, for example, um, you know, there was a period of time where we said, oh, like, you know, what about Wolverine? You know, like, what's Logan's uh, availability? What's he got going on? He had uh, Lives and Deaths of Wolverine, uh, you know, in, in the pipeline. So we kind of knew, all right, our story has like a time travel element. We probably don't want to, you know, double dip for Logan in that. Um, you know, for example, 
um, you know, we, we had a long conversation about like what symbiotic characters were available. Cause I said like, we need a spider character on this um, desperately. And um, Flash Thompson was very high on the list. And so when I was told like, okay, Flash is available. I was like, fantastic. Um, you know, but like, it's, it's interesting for me, the way I kind of approached it was you figure out what kind of bases you want to hit. So for me, I was like, I, we need at least three members, somebody that speaks to three members of the original roster. I was like, I know Frank Castle is unavailable because he's got his big relaunch and Punisher coming up. I know Wolverine is unavailable because of lives and deaths of Wolverine. Um, I know Venom, his whole status quo is, is, has, has changed dramatically in the wake of Donnie Cates' run. Um, and what Al Ewing and, and, and Rom V are doing right now. Um, so knowing like, okay, those are, those are the parameters already in place, knowing I want, I want Electra on there. Um, and I, I begged them, I said, I, please let me keep her as Daredevil. And they said, she's staying as Daredevil, you're safe. I said, okay, fantastic. Thank you, Chip. Um, uh, you know, I said, I want a spider on there. And so I had like a couple names of different spiders. I'd said, you know, like I'd love Flash Thompson, but if he's not available, what about Carnage? What about Prowler? What about, um, you know, I, I, I had mentioned uh, Kane is sort of very low on the, on the short list. And they were like, there's Spider-Man Beyond going on. Don't, don't worry about that. Um, you know, I wanted somebody with claws. Um, and so Weapon H was kind of a, a, a dark horse candidate, um, you know, um, but I was kind of like, well, you know, the mutants are kind of busy right now. You know, uh, Dakin's over in Marauders um, and uh, uh, Laura is sort of headlining the X-Men book. And I, I felt like that might be a little difficult to try to juggle both of them. Um, and so, uh, you know, but Weapon H, like he's kind of raw materials. And like, as I read his appearances, I had read Greg Pak and Corey Smith's run as it came out, but kind of rereading it. I was like, oh, everybody says that he's Wolverine meets Hulk, which is true, but it's a little reductive. I think personality is where it's at. He's Jason Bourne meets Roy Kent. Um, you know, like he's this sort of like hyper-competent, trained, like former military guy with like, just like a, he's a Swiss army knife of powers and abilities. And he wants nothing to do with this. Like he, like the idea of like being drawn into superhero stuff is like extremely aggravating to him. And so like, it's kind of fun to see him being like, oh, superhero stuff. I hate superhero stuff. Um, so, yeah, you know, you kind of figure out like what roles you want people to fill. Um, you know, you, you probably want somebody who's a tech guy on the team. So it's like, oh, Dane Whitman, there you go. Boom, bam. Um, you want somebody who, you know, can work as the transport. And so it's like cloak and dagger, boom, you're, so, you're, you're, you're sold. And then you start figuring out like, okay, what are some like interesting wrinkles to all of these characters that we can play up? You know, um, you know, for, for, you know, how much do I want to spoil? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had to catch myself there, but you know, things like, for example, um, this isn't a big spoiler, you know, Electra uh, uh, has recently taken a, um, uh, a, a recent vow against killing. Okay. And so how does that play out in this? Um, and we have a really cool sequence in uh, issue two uh, where we kind of delve into that a little bit um, where like for Electra, she's kind of fighting with one arm tied behind her back, but to the rest of us, she's so hyper-competent. Um, she's kind of the battlefield tactician um, to, to, to borrow from the distinguished competition for a minute. If Conan is kind of the Superman of this group, Electra is the Batman of this group. Um, and so, you know, that's like kind of a cool way to, to, to explore her as a character um, that feels, you know, that, that complements what Chip Zdarsky is doing over in his Daredevil run, but still also has like almost a different role because she's part of a team. Um, 
so it was super fun, you know, getting to like fan cast your own Avengers group. Um, For and, sure. And Tom was really supportive of all of it. You know, um, he kind of cleared the runway for me in a big way to make sure that like, these are the characters that you want. Okay, we will make sure that that they kind of fit and we'll get you, you know, sort of a fighting chance um, with the squad. And um, I've been really happy of just seeing the way that they all play off one another. Um, and uh, I think readers, I think readers are maybe expecting something a little flatter to this book. And I think that's been really fun is finding kind of the texture. And that's where all the character stuff comes in. Um, seeing, for example, how Flash Thompson might trash talk Cloak, hmm. uh, you know, or seeing this kind of whatever the opposite of a buddy cop thing is with Black Knight and Weapon H, um, you know, seeing how Elektra kind of naturally takes charge as a leader. Um, these are all really fun bits that I think fans of these characters are going to come into Savage Avengers, I, I hope, feeling like we're doing them justice. But I think people who go in not sure what to expect, we're in this for the long haul. Uh, I'm going to write this until they carry me out of the building. So you know, I, I, I want to make sure that these are characters that you all grow to love um, and really get invested in. So you've got the the sword and sorcery element with, with Conan, Black Knight, a little bit, you know, you get mysticism, cloak and dagger, right? Yeah. Um, and the counterpoint to this is this cybernetic futurism with Deathlock. Yeah. So you've got a real worlds collide thing going on here. So Kind yeah. of elaborate on that as much as you can. You know. Sure. Yeah. You know, it, it was it was one of those things when I when Tom emailed me um, back in uh, I guess it was end of June last year, uh, shortly before the July Fourth holiday, um, and uh, I remember you know when I thought like why me oh, oh it's the mashup book, I emailed him back about forty five minutes later and I was like look I, of course I'm excited to do this I would love to do this um, you know just like a knee jerk first blush reaction what do you think about Conan versus the Terminator. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 that, that was sort of an idea that I had in the back of my head for a long time, um, even before Conan went to Marvel. In fact, I had had the idea before Conan went to Marvel. And then when it, they got the announcement that Marvel had acquired the rights to Conan, I was like, well, I'm going to put that on a shelf. I'm I, clearly, I'm never going to get a chance to write that. Um, uh, so dreams do come true. Um, so yeah, Deathlock, uh, he's, he's such an interesting Marvel character, um, you know, similar to, you know, Cloak and Dagger. I grew up with the 90s version, uh, you know, Michael Collins um, um, that, that Dwayne McDuffie created. Um, and so, you know, Maximum Carnage was sort of my entree to Deathlock. And I thought he was such an interesting character because he's kind of this, this mess of contradictions. You know, it's, it's sort of, he's a pacifist who's grafted to this war machine and he's kind of fighting for control over the war machine and kind of they're, they're sort of figuring out what's the ethical center to all this, which is of course superhero violence, but in a non-lethal way. And so um, I think that, you know, what people like Rick Remender and Jason Aaron have done with Deathlocks, it's sort of expanded it as sort of, you know, this futuristic force, whether it's for evil, like in the Rick Remender Uncanny X-Force books, or for good in Jason Aaron's, you know, multiversal Deathlock army. And uh, I've always thought it was interesting because, you know, um, Deathlock is kind of a Swiss army knife when it comes to continuity. You know, there's a lot of things that can be done because of the time travel, because there are so many different iterations of Deathlock. Right. And for me, something I had a lot of fun with was, you know, thinking, all right, like you've got Conan versus Deathlock. And that that already feels like a fairly even match. You know, you've got sort of this mountain of muscle that is Conan and then this relentless machine um, that is never going to stop. But I was thinking, you know, he's, this guy's got to fend off a whole superhero team. 
And so we found some really cool ways to stack the deck as far as Deathlock is concerned. Um, we gave them this really fun suite of, of, of technology and abilities that really like stacks the deck in a fun way. You know, he's got, you know, um, he's, he's got invisibility. So he's it's a little like a predator. Um, you know, he's got, um, he's got energy blasts that, uh, you know, basically it's sort of like a, like a falcon punch if, if anybody's been playing super smash brothers um you know he's got his plasma cannon you know he's got uh taskmaster fight software so he's able to like throw down against a bunch of heroes at once um he's got a gamma battery that like is gonna put the herd on weapon h in a big in a big way um and you know it was really cool sort of building this death lock from scratch and he's got a really interesting um point of view and perspective on things. And I think his mission, it winds up having some wrinkles that I don't think even Deathlock is aware of. And as the series progresses, we'll kind of get a sense more of like what's going on in this Deathlock's head. Um, you know, it, he, he's, he's a very, very fun antagonist uh, to write. And he's sort of just, he just, he doesn't stop. Um, and, and I think it's really fun to kind of watch these savage avengers who are known for kind of being able to win a fight like suddenly they're kind of on the ropes and that's sort of the impetus for they got to team up like they have to figure out how to, these loners have to figure out how to not be loners anymore um not just to beat the deathlock but to kind of <clears throat> soothe some of the kind of psychic scars that their way of life has has inflicted upon them you know, um, like generates like, or, or, or like attracts like, I should say. Um, and um, so, you know, it's for for a team of mostly killers, you know, there is like a little bit of a feel good element to it, okay. <laughs> um, you know, and and um, Deathlock is kind of the, the impetus for all this. But um, it's really fun watching all these characters, you know, um, deal with a lot of stuff from Conan's past. Um, and so Conan's experience and wealth of knowledge is gonna be very helpful to the Savage Avengers, just like kind of strength in numbers is gonna be very helpful to Conan to survive the night. Um, and watching Deathlock kind of come in and out like a shark is, um, it's very fun and it lets me really flex my muscles uh, in terms of fight choreography in a, in a really cool way. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it's got this, you know, Deathlock, Conan, unstoppable force, immovable object kind of yes. polarity going on. Um, yeah. There's, there's, I sense some like, internal group dynamic struggle part, part probably in here too yeah. I mean, conan's never been the biggest fan of magic and now he's got to rely on teammates that are steeped in yeah. magic and mysticism yes. and and on top of that you know conan's values i think are a little bit different than than many 21st century heroes you know the thing that really stood out to me there was an issue of uh, of jerry's run um where he finds himself on the other side of the law from spider-man you know, he's, Conan's robbing a bank um, to keep like some bar open and, you know, he's teaming up with the Rhino and, and, and Spidey shows up and, you know, Spidey's like, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. With great power comes great responsibility. And Conan's like, what? Like, you're just promoting like the corrupt status quo of a bunch of corrupt bankers. And <laughs> Spidey's like, that is complete mischaracterization of what I do. But like, sometimes it isn't, you know, um, um, you know, he's he's very status quo. He's a champion of the status quo. Uh, which isn't always great. Um, and I think Conan might see some of superheroic ethics as maybe a, a, a little navel-gazy, you know, maybe a little like, you know, you're going to kill yourself doing this. Like, I don't know why you would do this. <laughs> um, and that's, and, and meanwhile, you know, you've got characters like um, 
Dagger is one that really stands out to me. She's kind of, I think she and Black Knight in certain ways are kind of like the, the hearts of the book. Okay. Um, and Dagger is kind of like, you know, like I'm never going to be afraid to help somebody if they ask for help. Um, and so, you know, the, 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 there's a lot to learn from one another. Um, and, and I think that sort of that tension and that conflict, um, it makes it, it makes the inevitable team ups that much more satisfying. But I think it also just kind of makes the, the book a little bit more fun and a little bit more unpredictable. Well, do you ever have that moment when you wish that the leader maybe wasn't Conan because he's got so much canon? You know. Yeah, no, you know, it, it's one of those things. Um, no, Conan, Conan really kind of fits the bill in an interesting way. You know, he's so iconic and, it, you know, he's one of those characters. He's like Superman, you know, like you put him in a crowd of people and he's the guy who immediately like gravitates to the center. You know, the team kind of revolves around him. He's the, he's the tip of the spear in a lot of ways. And for me, you know, um, the Justice League was, is, is, was something that, that's really been instilled in me in a lot of ways. You know, you have the big seven. And so you kind of know like, all right, Superman's leading the pack and he's flanked by, by Batman and Wonder Woman who are then flanked by, you know, Flash and Green Lantern and who are then flanked by Aquaman and, and uh, Martian Manhunter. And then if you want to throw in people like, you know, Green Arrow, uh, Firestorm, Adam, Zatanna, Hawkman, what have you. Anyway, um, uh, uh, you know, it's one of those things like you want, you think about how does this group look together you know how would they come together as 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 designs and as silhouettes and his personalities and conan just you know he's direct you know he's he's he really is that unstoppable force he's 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 a fun headliner for a book um and then you know yeah you have people like um electra you know who's, who's sort of a natural second in command and you have uh anti-venom who's sort of like the uh, the old school hawkeye of the book you know he's he's an a-hole but he's our a-hole you know like right uh, um and then you can sort of say all right and then you got you know weapon h and flash and then you got you know cloak and dagger kind of leading up the rear um so yeah you know it's for me the the only thing that was sort of it was a welcome challenge i i, I will say is you know i i grew up reading all the marvel characters like that's a second language that i know really well Whereas Conan, I had to do a lot of research. Um, you know, I read every single thing that Marvel put out with Conan, um, in part just to be like, uh, uh, you know, what have they done in the relaunch? And like, what what ground has already been covered so I don't double up on that? And um, I think we found a really fun avenue that uh, I think speaks to both um, old time fans of, of, of Conan and, and Robert E. Howard, but also more casual fans. You know, I want to make sure like that's the sweet spot. Like if you know the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, then then you're good. You know, um, um, there, there are of course some differences from the Schwarzenegger movies um, and, and, and the, the Howard stories. And we, you will see some of that. Um, that that's, that's sort of the biggest hint that I can give you is there is some stuff um, from classic Howard lore that people at least are, are, are semi-aware of, um, but it, maybe not in the way that you might expect it. Um, so uh, yeah, that was, that was sort of the biggest challenge, you know, and, and, and the fact that it's sort of, this is an interesting book and in that there's, you know, it's an extra round of approvals. Um, you know, we, we're dealing with, with 
We're working with Conan Properties who've been really wonderful to, to, to work with and have been really helpful in terms of saying, oh, like you wanna do this, like here's a bunch of continuity that could help. Like, you know, you wanna, you know, you wanna reference this thing? Well, yeah, reference, this is, this is a city, this is a good place for you to use. Um, you know, it's been really helpful um, in terms of making sure that like this appeals to both casual fans, but also like the diehard Conan fans as well. So how many editors did you have working? It sounds like uh, you have an army here. Yeah, well, you know, we, we, have, um, we have three editors on, on Marvel side and then uh, we were working with, um, with the liaison from, from Conan Properties. Okay. So yeah, I guess it's four editors. Um, although of course the, the Marvel side, you know, um, um, you know, Tom is sort of the, the, the point man. And um, yeah, it's been really helpful. Um, you know, I mean, I can't say enough good things about working with Tom Braveheart. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, he's really a, a, an editorial Jedi master. It's really like the only way I can describe it in that this, this is a guy who is juggling no small amount of books every month. And um, when I initially uh, put together my pitch for Savage Vendors, I actually wrote a 15 page document with five different angles, five different rosters. Um, a whole series of arc ideas in the back um, because I was just like, you know, I don't know what they're going to take. And sure. I want to make sure that like I can kind of fit within the greater Marvel scheme of things, you know, how big do they want this book to be? Um, you know, cause you could go pretty hyper niche with this if you wanted to. Sure. And um, the thing that I, that really blew me away is that he read the whole thing and he gave me detailed notes um, and he does that for everything. I mean, I, I can't, the amount, the word I would use to describe his bandwidth is generous. You know, he's got such a generosity to his notes and he's been doing this, you know, almost as long as I've been alive. And so he knows kind of, you know, this is a fight that we, we, we got to pick, you know, this is something that you got to tweak. Um, you know, maybe for example, oh, hey, the dialogue here is feeling a little like this. You could punch this dialogue up a little bit. I'm like, great. I will take another pass on this. Other times, you know, I'm like, hey, Tom, what do you think about this crazy thing? Um, well, I know, you know what, I can spoil this because it's already in solicits. Um, you know, for example, I said, um, hey, Tom, uh, I know you guys are doing a double dinosaur book coming up. Uh, how would you feel if we had Electra and Cloak and a gladiator pit fighting devil dinosaur? You know, and he was like, yeah, that sounds like fun. And I was like, great. Like, I, I probably have those sorts of conversations with them like once a month where I'm just like, hey, there's this weird thing that I kind of want to throw at you. How do you feel about it? And they're usually very receptive about it. Um, so yeah, I can't say enough good things. I mean, you know, Tom is sort of the combination of, he gives me a lot of latitude, but he also provides the guardrails when I need them and guidance when I need them. I think it's, especially for a series like this, my first, this was my first Marvel work. I've, I have since done more Marvel work, some of which has come out, some of which will be solicited down the line. Um, but this was the very first thing I'd done. And um, he was really helpful in kind of being like, hey, this might be a good landmark for this, uh, you know, for, for you to hit. And I was like, great. It gives me a, a good amount of structure to kind of build this story on while also knowing like, this is a landmark that I know is going to be punchy. And then, you know, it's, he doesn't really, he's never really told me you have to do this, 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 and this. He's just like, hey, what if you did this reveal, a reveal of this right here? And then I just run with it and I get to like really extrapolate some very cool stuff that kind of digs into some unexpected corners of Marvel continuity. Um, and uh, so, yeah, you'll be seeing a lot of that, um, especially in uh, issues three and four. Um, issue three, I believe, will be solicited uh, by the time this goes up.
Okay. Yeah, you already jumped the gun on one of my questions here. I had a note about here, right? This is one of my reject questions, which was, how do you put the Savage and Savage Avengers? And then I saw the cover with the devil sore and cloak riding it. And I was like, this kind of answers itself, yeah. right? Well, you know, but I, I, I think it's a great question. And, 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 and I, I, I will tackle this question. Um, you know, I think the thing is, is I, I think some people have been like, well, you know, Electra doesn't kill anymore or, you know, Dagger's not a killer. And my, my thinking is, you know, for the Savage Avengers, you know, it's sort of a collection of, uh, of loners and, and, and berserkers and killers. But they're ultimately, they're all characters that are united by, they're struggling with their dark side. You know, um, they're struggling with that violence. They're struggling with whether or not they, they, they choose to kill. Um, just because they don't kill doesn't mean any of them aren't tempted to. And so I think that's really like a cool um, uniting statement for, 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 for the Savage Avengers is they're the heroes with a dark side and they're the only ones that understand having a dark side. They're going to be the ones that pull each other through it. Um, in addition to sort of, you know, being thrown into an environment that is possibly more savage than they are. Um, and, and I think we really wanted to make it a point that like, we are throwing these, these Avengers into some pretty hot water um, uh, throughout the whole series. And, um, and uh, they're going to have to really dig in deep, both in terms of their savage instincts, but also like, can they listen to their better angels a little bit? Um, and, uh, because bloodlust ultimately isn't going to be the thing that saves the day. It's going to be sort of whether or not they can overcome it. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think, I think we're, we're living up to the name in, in, in kind of a fun way. And I think by having that kind of dedicated roster, some of whom are sort of more established, like Black Knight, uh, to people who have never really been on a team before, um, mm -hmm we're sort of, we're earning that Avengers name, I think a little bit, um, not necessarily as like card carrying approved by Captain America Avengers, but just like, these are a group of heroes that were brought together on a day, unlike any other to, to face a, a foe that no single hero could withstand. And if that isn't an Avengers uh, team, I don't know what is. Well, I always like to give oxygen to the rest of the creative team. So yeah. <clears throat> Carlos Magno is, is, yes. is working with you as the artist on the project, you know, Artists give the, that visual voice, right, to a, the creative vision of the writer. So I always like to hear how they surprise you as a writer. Like you had this oh idea, God. but yeah, Carlos, you know, um, I, I, again, you know, I, I give I give Tom um, all the credit in the world um, because uh, Carlos hadn't been on my radar before this. We started working together. Um, you know, he he had just uh, he had just wrapped up on uh, his Kang the Conqueror book um with um jackson lansing and, and and colin kelly um who are now on captain america uh the steve rogers book and um i was blown away i mean first off uh carlos comes to this with a little bit of a different knowledge base than me you know um he is a diehard conan fan he's wanted to draw conan for quite some time and so I think Tom knew that um and and was like carlos like this is your shot man you want to do this and so he's been just over the moon and uh, yeah, I couldn't be more blown away by, by Carlos's style. Um, I've said, you know, he's kind of, I, I, I see him standing shoulder to shoulder with, uh, you know, in between uh, Phil Jimenez and Brian Hitch. Okay. Um, you know, he's got that style that's like very muscular, uh, very kind of blockbuster, widescreen, larger than life. But it's also got that fine detail work of somebody like Phil Jimenez or, or even a George Perez. And um, 
he's fantastic. Um, he's, he's so talented and he's so fast and he's so gracious. Um, you know, I, I, I sometimes can be a little nitpicky um, uh, coming from sort of being the editor of all my creator owned books. Um, right. And, and uh, Carlos like immediately, he's like, oh, I get exactly what you're saying. Like, like no problem. Um, he's spectacular. And seeing the way that he's interpreted some of these characters, um, you know, we threw a lot at him. You know, I think that's one of the challenges of writing a team book, especially an Avengers book. It's not like the X-Men where, you know, oftentimes their, 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 their costumes feel a little bit more in sync yep. with one another. You know, they, this is, these are wildly different designs and you got to find an artist who can make them all work and make them all look okay together, you know? And um, Carlos is that guy, um, you know, seeing the way that not only is he interpreted Conan, which I mean, the way he's drawn Conan's amazing. You can see it on, I mean, there, there's a couple pages online so you can, you can see them now. Um, but some of the other characters, um, the, the two that always really impressed me the most um, in terms of Carlos's style, um, Cloak, first off. Um, he, Carlos and I, one of the things I talked about, we, I said, you know, um, I want him to be able to sort of manipulate the dark force through his cape. So his cape is sort of prehensile now. Okay. And uh, I said, you know, look at Spawn. Um, see, you know, the way that Spawn has a prehensile cape, that's what we're going for with Cloak. And um, he's got this really cool, larger than life, sort of a swirling um, demeanor. Um, the, the cape is sort of its own living creature in a, in a lot of ways under Carlos's pen. And um, it looks spectacular. I think it's the coolest the Cloak has ever looked. Um, and I think that's half the battle for those characters, you know. Um, and uh, another character that really impressed me um, was his take on anti-venom. Um, you know, you've got sort of the, 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 the riff on uh, Tony Moore's uh, Agent Venom design, which we'll be seeing, that'll be Flash's kind of default look through most of the book. But sometimes circumstances might make the suit a little testy. And that's when you see sort of that classic, larger than life, uh, monstrous, feral Venom look. And, um, you know, for those who, who, who know the history of anti-Venom, you know, that was, that was a John Romita Jr. design. And it was different than Venom, uh, you know, it was inverted and it was done in such a way, uh, if you see those old John Romita Jr. Uh, covers of Anti-Venom, uh, those look very distinctly, that lives in his style. It is hard to draw Anti-Venom in, especially the monster form, not when you're not John Romita Jr. And Carlos did, has done some really interesting stuff. He's kind of really played into sort of the, the goopy, like body horror version. Okay. Uh, you know, of, of this uh, uh, Venom. And it's super cool. Um, you know, like to the point where like, I look at all my scripts now and I'm like, hmm, is there like, should I make him feral in this scene? Just cause I know it's gonna look super cool. Um, and that's, that's Carlos, that's all Carlos. And honestly, there's not a bad character in the bunch. You know, I mean, um, his, he's got a very, uh, all of his scenes with Electra wind up kind of routinely kind of stealing the show. Um, and uh, Deathlock, I think he's having a lot of fun with. And uh, even like, I think some of the designs that might be the most challenging, you know, um, like like um, Black Knight, he's got, a, you know, that's a brand new design. There's not a lot of reference to go off of. Mm -hmm. um, and it's fully masked now because he's sort of tag teaming with Jax, uh, Jax Chopra, his, uh, his, his estranged daughter, uh, who I, I'll tell everybody now, because people always ask me, is she in the book? She's not in, she's not in my book. Um, so I, I, I don't know the plans for, for Jax. They, they, they don't even let me in the building. Um, but- Who's uh, the next caliber? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's uh, 
uh, it's fun, you know, just to see the way that Carlos kind of realizes that. And, um, and I will say there's, there's another, there's another character, there's another villain waiting in the wings who Carlos just, oh my God, it's incredible. Um, and we'll be seeing that uh, a little bit in issue two, uh, issue three and beyond. Um, but just, I don't think Carlos has ever delivered a bad page. Um, and he's just, he's such, he's, he's such a hard worker and such a gracious partner to, 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 to team up with. And I just can't say enough good things about working with him. I, I feel so fortunate that my first Marvel series is with Carlos and I think he's going to be the next great comic superstar. So I, I, I greatly appreciate getting to ride his coattails now. Well, has it, has it been a challenge to move from that, that world of creator owned space where you're doing your own books and you have control into this space? Yeah. You know, that's a good question. I mean, there's a learning curve, I think, sure. um, you know, for me, the learning curve is about speed. You know, I, I think that's the one luxury you have of a lot of creator owned books. Um, you know, for example, uh, you know, my, my, my Kickstarter book, the OZ, you know, we're putting that out annually. Um, and, and it's n that, I mean, the book has been written for a long time. It's just, we want to make sure that we give our, we give artist uh, Ruben Rojas the time to draw it and uh, to do it at his standards. Um, whereas this, you know, you're operating at a monthly base, uh, basis. And so, um, you know, between that and juggling some other work at, at, at Marvel that will uh, soon be announced, um, you know, it's just been sort of like, okay, I want to turn out, I'd like to turn out a script every week. Um, usually I can do that. Um, if it's a really challenging script, I might need another half a week, maybe have another, a second week if it's really challenging. Um, but, you know, cranking out a script a week, that's, that's a marathon, you know? Um, and, uh, uh, and I think also, you know, it's, it's picking your battles a little bit, um, you know, and kind of figuring out like, okay, everybody's on a monthly schedule. Everybody's stressed. Everybody's, you know, uh, 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 working long hours. Is this important for the story? You know, is, you know, or is this something that's going to look weird? Like, so you really want to kind of measure twice and cut once. Um, and, and I think working with, uh, with Carlos and Tom, it's been really helpful because, you know, Carlos is game for a lot, but also Tom can sometimes gently say, that's not really worth the time. Don't worry about that. You know, um, um, or, that probably wasn't the smartest note. So let's just strike that for the, for the record. Um, and that's great. You know, it, it, it makes me feel much more comfortable um, not having it all on my shoulders. Um, but that said, sometimes the speed is kind of fun. You know, um, I, I do think this book is one of the fastest projects I've had come together. Um, it's, not, it's not quite as fast as Scout's Honor was, but that was under a very rapid time frame. But it's similar, you know, um, and it's nice not having to, it's nice not having to worry about the scheduling for everybody else. You know, uh, it's nice sort of knowing, oh, that's my editor's job. Um, you know, and it's, it's nice not having to match make the whole team. Um, but it's also, you know, it, it's, it's very much a collaborative process in, 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 that, in that regard with, with me and, and, and my creative team and, and my editors. Um, I think the other big learning curve that I think a lot of people don't, you won't, you wouldn't know it unless you were in it. I certainly didn't know it until I was in it. But continuity is a double-edged sword. You know, on the one hand, you don't have to build any new characters. It's it's a little more journalistic in that sure. way. You know, you sort of, you're, you know, you've done the research and now you're sort of able to figure out angles that haven't been explored yet. Um, or sort of character uh, uh, character combos that like people haven't done before. And, and, and you start, you, you extrapolate from work. You're standing on other people's shoulders for that. However, 
you know, there's always the question of, well, why don't you do this? You know, why don't you use this character? Why don't you take this angle? Um, and you kind of have to be like, well, there's, you know, 70 other titles going on and maybe somebody is, is in a similar angle. Like I, I can say, for example, um, in an early, in one of the early versions of, of, of my, my roster, I had said like, you know, uh, Dakin, I really love Dakin, you know, is he available? And he was working in Marauders. And so I was like, okay, like most of the time, if you're kind of doing it right, you think of a plan B, you think of a plan C, you think of a plan D and you figure out, okay, how do I pivot a little bit to make that work? Like knowing, all right, Dakin's not there, but Weapon H is, and Weapon H kind of serves a different purpose. You know, he's sort of the, you know, he's the big imposing bruiser of the team. That's a cool visual. There are also lots of things you can do because of he's sort of the synthetic Hulk hybrid. What does that entail? You know, um, so, um, but yeah, there's a lot of sort of, of moving parts. And as a creator, you're often not privy to them. Um, and I understand exactly why that is. I know it sounds counterintuitive when I say it, but it's one of those things that like, first off, the editors are the ones, they're getting paid to sort of be the traffic cops in that regard. They're the ones that, that need them, that, that, that take the mental load. But I think also it, it keeps everything from devolving into chaos. You know, I think if every creator knew everything that was going on, it'd be very easy to muddy the waters. It'd be very easy for, you know, what happens if a creator gets jealous, you know, and says, oh, wait, I like something. I like that. I'm going to do something just like that. You know, it's, it's much better to just not know. You sure. know, um, and, and just say, ask your editors, hey, can I do this? And they can say yes, or they can say, oh, you know, Wolverine's in a time travel story, so you probably can't use them right now. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's nice. It's interesting seeing some of the ways that Marvel has also like come up with their own practices to, to help deal with that. Um, you know, I was working, you know, I, I had one, one plot bit that I was kind of struggling with and um, uh, they sent me a spreadsheet filled with villains, just a whole spreadsheet with like, you know, bios. When was the last time we saw them? Are they alive or dead? And I was like, oh, that's so cool. Like, you know, um, it was super helpful. And then we found we found a, a, a perfect villain to, to, to suit the story. Um, and so, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think I think it's just it's a much bigger playing field. It really is. It's playing for the Yankees um, and knowing that unlike unlike working for a creator owned publisher or just working on your own indie books um, where you just are working on the book. You know, there's very little you have to worry about. At most, a creator owned just has to publisher has to be like, well, are there any other books about post-apocalyptic Boy Scout cults that we're doing? <laughs> uh, you know, no. Okay. We're, I think we're good. We're good. Yeah. We don't have any others this year. We're great. Yeah. Uh, whereas yeah, Marvel and DC, you know, you, you have to be cognizant is not the right word because you're not cognizant of it but like like there are things that you could pitch and you just have to you're doing it blindfolded you know mm -hmm. um and and you just know that's the name of the game and you know that your editors are doing it this way to protect you um and to protect the book and to protect the company and to protect themselves and i think that all makes perfect sense to me sure um but it's one of those things that and hopefully i'm not talking out of school but yeah it's like one of those things when everybody would ask me like what's it, like why why aren't you using jack's chopra for example and it's like well when i pitched the book when i pitched the book all i knew is that there was a second black knight coming um that's all i knew i did i i i didn't even know it was going to be jack's i didn't know the relationship of it at all i think i had already pitched and gotten black knight approved 
by the time that Black Knight, that issue of Black Knight came out where she was like, I'm going to be another Black Knight. Um, so like when people ask like, what is she up to? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think there's just somebody else had plans for her. Sure, and it yeah. was not, it was not germane for me to know it. Um, and so I think that's like a big misconception that a lot of people have, but I think while it might look a little weird on the outside, on the inside, I think that's the only way that this sort of like crazy complicated machine doesn't get jammed up every 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's funny. Cause you gave me this visual snapshot essentially of an editor having like a, a wheel of fortune villains wheel and you just get, a, you know, well, it's not, it's not quite as random, but it's just more of, it's just saying like, here's who's available. Right. And then you can sort of, as, as the creator kind of be like, oh, that clicks for me, that villain, I could do something really cool with that. And, um, and so it's, 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 it's less of sort of a random, I know like people, I, there were a couple of people who accused us of that with our cast list, for example being like oh did like you know did he throw darts and it's like no i thought this through um you know and i think it, it's it's one of those things it's very good for most creators to not know what every single other person is doing um the editors all know this and that is sort of where they're able to say mm, steer clear a little bit uh versus like that's perfectly open run with it well um i want to get to know david a little bit better here yeah and this, this is my own personal interest here. Like, so you were a theater kid as, as if I did my research, right? Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, <laughs> um, I, I definitely did uh, my, my share of theater growing up. Um, yeah, I, 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 uh, I studied, um, I was a journalism major in college, but I did creative writing and theater, uh, on, on the side. And, yeah. um, that was sort of my first kind of taste of creative success a little bit. Um, I did, I, I, I did some stage work. Um, that was kind of, you know, it didn't really set the world on fire, but um, it was uh, writing and directing that really, that's where I kind of found a nice pop. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's where I was curious about. I mean, I've spent a considerable amount of time in theater myself yeah. on the tech and management end of things. I was mm -hmm. never talented enough to sing. Nobody wants to hear that, right. but you know, I'm curious because I, I interview a lot of people who come from a screen background, you know, mm -hmm. like, they, they've done movies or they have this film background, but not many people who have that theater background. So it's a really, as a former yeah. lighting designer, it's really interesting, kind of pick your brain. You know, you're, you're going from that three-dimensional space, you know, writing for theater to flat panels, like with comics. Yeah. So, Well, it's interesting, you know, for me growing up, especially when I was in college, I kind of, I knew I wanted to do something writing wise um I, I i went to college thinking i was going to do pre-law and uh, one internship and one philosophy of law class later i knew that was not for me and so um my college experience especially uh, i grew up in missouri you know so there wasn't like a whole lot of room for film but there was theater so i i, I did that you know in, in high school and um and i did did some of that in college but i you know i tried everything um i you know i did journalism i did theater stuff i did screenwriting um in, in college i did um i was the president of the brandeis university comic book club uh, so yes. alpha nerd um you know i was uh i was even uh you know a dj at, at the campus radio station um you know, i was trying to do i was trying everything you know i did um i did some creative writing i did like a, a, a like a like a prose uh, a class um, just to be like, well, what fits best for me? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and theater was a great, was I think probably the, the place 
growing up, I had the most success, um, you know, just because, you, you know, I didn't have access to the equipment. Um, you know, I think there's getting into film, it's, it's challenging. Um, sure. You know, there, 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 there are a lot of ways you can do it. But if you don't know the lay of the land, it's kind of hard to find out unless you're in New York or, or L.A. Um, but I directed a few shows in college, um, you know, um, I kind of oscillated from like weird slapstick comedy. Um, uh, I hate Hamlet by uh, Paul Rudnick. Uh, I love that uh, play um, to like very kind of bleak tragedy. Um, the Shape of Things by Neil Labute uh, is one of my favorite plays. Um, and I think that does speak to my creative sensibilities a lot. Um, a little bit. Of, you know, I do kind of these somewhat bleak things that have then like a very subversive sense of humor to it. Um, but um yeah, you know, it was, it was one of those things I do think that spoke to the collaborative nature of it all, which I think really helped me out a lot in in, in comics. Um, because yeah, you're working with a whole bunch of people and oftentimes, especially when you're starting out, I think you're kind of having to not just find your vision, but you also have to kind of like explain that vision to your collaborators. And, you know, especially when you have no track record, it's very easy for collaborators to be like, what are you talking about? Um, and you, it's, 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 it's a negotiation, you know, um, and, and, I've always said, um, especially in my, my 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 early books, um, Spencer and Locke and Going to Chapel. Um, you know, I've always I've always told my collaborators, I'm like, this may seem crazy, but I promise you, when the book comes out, it's going to be worth it. Um, and and thus far, it has been. Uh, thank goodness. Um, but yeah, I um, uh, you know, I, I did journalism as well. Um, you know, and that was really good about teaching me how to write at a deadline and not have to be like afraid of a blank page and. Um, if anything, I actually feel like I write pretty modularly because of my journalism background. Like I'm like, this line doesn't work here. This scene doesn't work here. And I know how to kind of lop it off and move it around the script in such a way that I'm like, it fits, this is, it's better right here. Um, and it's easy to kind of finesse the transitions to make it fit. Um, but you know, it was one of those things I, um, I was in college. Um, I entered at DC comics, uh, out of college. I, I, uh, I worked on books like, um, Batman R.I.P. and uh, Final Crisis and uh, Green Lantern Secret Origins, uh, all of which are were, were tremendous experiences. Uh, in fact, I, I worked with uh, Mike Martz uh, in the Batman office who wound up being one of my editors on Scout's Honor over at Aftershock. Um, and I, I, I assume is the reason why I got in the door at Marvel is because he had also worked at Marvel. He knew the editors there. Uh, he and Christina Harrington, who was my lead editor on, on Scout's Honor, and I think Marvel probably thought, well, if he can work with them, he's, he's, he's probably okay to work with. Um, but I interned during the recession. The recession had just started, it was summer of 2008. Uh, the economy was in shambles. I, uh, I wound up working in journalism for a little while. Uh, I moved to rural Massachusetts. Uh, I was a crime reporter uh, and state politics reporter for the Berkshire Eagle in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Uh, I was also a, a copy editor and, and paginator uh, for those who don't know what that is, I basically designed uh, all the newspaper pages. I worked weird hours. Um, and so I, I, I typically took the night shift. And uh, I felt a little creatively stifled there. You know, um, I was fresh out of college. Uh, I didn't really see a huge future in that business. Um, and so I, 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 I moonlit um, in comics journalism. Um, I, I, I wrote for Newsarama uh, for over a decade. Um, I was the reviews editor for a long time. Um, uh, Troy Brownfield was my mentor for a long time, is my mentor. You know, I, I, I still talk with Troy every day. Um, um, and when he sort of rode off into the sunset, uh, uh, put his comics journalism days behind him, I wound up taking that role. And um, at the time, I didn't know what I wanted to do in comics. I knew I wanted to be involved somehow. But growing up in the Midwest, I, 
I never met anybody who was a professional creator, um, you know, who paid their bills writing. Um, it just didn't seem, I, I, it didn't seem possible. It felt like walking on the moon, you know? And so I thought maybe I'd be an editor, you know? And I thought at the time, maybe if I learned how to write a script, I would be able to speak with creators better about their own scripts. Not realizing that was supremely putting the cart before the horse. If you know how to write a script, just write a script. Um, so I taught myself how to do it. I, uh, I wrote a short script every day for 90 days. Okay. Um, and it was one of those things, you know, short, like six to eight pages, you know, um, and, and those were horribly overwritten. Um, I didn't quite get the, you know, but I, I learned the structure, you know, and every time I finished, I learned something. And it's not to say that these were good scripts. Many of them were terrible. Um, I kind of, you know, it was, I, I just, I said, I have to come up with an idea every single day, no matter how bad it is. Um, you know, like I, there was one, there was one concept that I came up with um, that I actually really loved. And I wound up revisiting um, uh, last year, uh, Roxy Rewind, which wound up uh, being in the big hype anthology. That was one of those 90 day scripts, okay. um, you know, but, um, uh, and meanwhile, I, um, I interviewed creators. Um, I, I did a process uh, piece called uh, Writer's Workshop and Artist Alley. So I asked a lot of questions of like, how do you come up with your themes? You know, how do you approach characterization? How do you work with pacing? And um, every time I'd hear something that was interesting, I kind of file it away. Um, I remember Scott Snyder saying, for example, he uh, reverse engineered um, Batman Year One every year. He would just take the, the comic in front of him and he would write the script he'd be like okay page one panel one here's what i would say the description of panel one would be here's the dialogue and then you kind of get a sense of what the metric of all this is um and i started doing that and it became very helpful um like i learned very quickly like okay my hard and fast rule is i never want more than 22 words per balloon um that is my hard and fast rule and if i break it i inevitably regret it um you know and i inevitably have to make cuts um and so, you know, I wrote a couple fan scripts, uh, you know, I, my, my, my Avengers fan scripts, my Shazam, my Doctor Strange. And um, uh, I eventually went back to school. I went to Columbia in New York for study publishing. I thought I'd get into comics that way. Uh, I did not. I uh, tripped and fell into a job at CBS television. Um, uh, they, they owned Simon & Schuster. Um, a Simon & Schuster editor said, we really like you. We have no jobs, but corporate needs somebody. And so that's where I worked. I worked there for about five years. Um, and while I did that, it was a very hurry up and wait job. And so I kind of got so restless that I, I picked up writing again. Um, you know, I wrote my first screenplay. Um, I wrote a couple uh, uh, teleplays. Um, and eventually I, I was having a crisis of faith a little bit. I, I was reviewing comics at Newsarama this whole time. <laughs> and uh, as I'm sure you know, uh, being, being, being on your side of the table, um, comics criticism is an interesting business. First off, it's rarely paid. And if it is paid, it's not paid nearly. For paid. sure. Yes. Um, but it's also like being a kid in a candy store if statistically speaking, half the candy was rancid. And you don't know. You just have to taste test it. And you hope that it's good. And I was kind of, I, I think it comes in kind of uh, uh, ebbs and, and, and flows, you know, a little bit. Sometimes you're reading a whole bunch of stuff that really speaks to you. And there are other times where it's like the desert, man. And I was kind of in a desert period. There was not a lot of stuff that was clicking with me. The, the, the one thing that had really clicked with me was um, Afterlife with Archie. 
Uh, okay. Uh, I loved that book. And it was one of those things that I kind of had this moment. I went, I, I visited my father in, in, in Missouri and he was asking me how work was going. Oh, I don't know. Well, you know, I don't, this is not a forever job for me. It's know. work. And he said, what's the one thing that only you could do? And I thought a lot of people can write, but nobody can write the way that I write, you know, like that's my voice. And um, that I, the, the week I got home, I wrote the first issue of Spencer and Locke. Wow. Okay. And uh, it was one of those things I kind of dipped my toe into the pool. I said, Oh, I wrote that first issue. I really liked that. That was really fun. Um, and, 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 uh, and, and my, I had just met my, my partner um, fairly recently at that point. And she was like, yeah, that's really cool. Like you should, you should write that. And then I wrote an outline and it, it was the easiest outline I've ever written. I've never written an outline that easy since, um, <laughs> you know, but I was just like, oh, that was fun. Like that, let's see how that goes. I was like, maybe I can find an artist to draw a couple of pages just to see, you know, what it's like, you know, uh, that'd be good editorial experience. <laughs> and then um, I was like, well, let's shop it around. Like, what's the harm, you know, just to get the experience. And then suddenly I get this email being like, hey, when, how soon can you get this book done? And that's when it, like this chill went down my spine. Like I dipped my toe in the pool enough times that I accidentally fell in. <laughs> um, and I was like, I have to now deliver on this book. Yeah. And um, I, I had moved to Los Angeles again, thinking, well, maybe this will be a side hustle. Like I'll get an office job. You know, uh, everybody's saying, if you want to work in something creative in television development or current programming, you have to be in the West Coast to do it. And, um, but you have to be an assistant first. And let me tell you, I was not a great assistant. I, <laughs> I you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't the right environment. Um, you know, it was sort of, it was, I think it would have been a challenging environment for anyone to succeed in, uh, given sort of the, the structure of this particular office. But um, Spencer and Locke was coming out and we're getting great reviews and then I'm kind of getting abused at work. <laughs> so I was like, why am I doing this? Like, I should, you know, let's just lean towards where your strengths lie. And um, so I've been writing ever since. And um, yeah, it's been, you know, it's, it's been a really uh, incredible journey. I just marked five years um, as a published comics writer. Um, I think it was last week. Um, so I feel like I've learned a lot. You know, I feel like I've been really fortunate with the opportunities I've, I've, I've found. I've been really fortunate with the response that we've gotten to these books and the level of support that we've gotten really from across the industry, uh, you know, from creators who have been so generous with shouting out my books, with the retailers who have really kind of rallied around us, um, you know, the librarians who have done uh, done the same, um, the, the press uh, people who have just been just incredible um, at, at taking the time to support indie work. And, um, you know, and all the editors and, and creators who've given me a chance, um, you know, and, and not to mention just all the fans. Um, you know, and I, I think it's hard to kind of stand out in this industry and it's hard to sort of stand out in a way that gives you any sort of longevity. And for me, it's just about trying to take kind of the loudest swing that I possibly can. And that's where I think a lot of the pop culture remixing stuff really has helped where, you know, my first book was what if Calvin and Hobbes grew up in Sin City, uh, you know, succeed or fail. You don't do that quietly. Um, that is a book that like, for sure, for uh, sure. um, and, and same thing, you know, with my book, The OZ, where it's, you know, it's what if the Hurt Locker took place in The Wizard of Oz. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, uh, Conan versus Terminator across the Hyborian Age, you know, like, I, I think that's a book that I would want to read if somebody told me about it. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that uh, our readers feel the same way. So 
what book? I mean, this is the the kid in in high school who was drawing cartoons for the school yeah. paper. Yeah. I so, did. you know, what book along the way is the book? What made you want to be a writer? Hmm. Oh boy, that's a tough question. There's, I mean, because for me, you know, you, you talk about the, the, the ebbs and flows again, and, and that, that's been me growing up. You know, I, I, I always read comics. I'm a third generation comics reader. My grandfather was a big fan. My mother was a fan. Wow. Um, but, you know, it's one of those, you'd, you'd, you'd find a couple of books that you'd be like super hyper-focused on. Then you'd kind of recede a little bit. Uh, and then you find another series of books a few years later, we'd be hyper fixated on it. You know, like I remember, you know, like I remember my years reading Spawn and Crimson, you know, I was an angsty 12, 13 year old. And then discovering Grant Morrison, you know, with JLA and New X-Men and, or Brian K. Vaughn's Why the Last Man, um, Jeff Johns with Green Lantern and Teen Titans um, to Civil War, you know, and I think once Civil War at 52 came out, I was kind of hooked for, for the rest of my life. Um, I think the book though, it's it's got to come down to three books as far as what kind of put me on the path. Um, Frank Miller and John Romita Jr.'s um, Daredevil, The Man Without Fear. That book blew my mind as a kid. I was probably seven when I read it. I, you know, not really old enough. Uh, my parents did not vet that properly, but um, no, it mind. blew my mind. You know, yeah. I was just like, oh, you could, I could tell the voice in this book. And I realized like real people make these books. Like this is not like, you know, done by committee where it's anonymous. You know, this is very much, this can be an artist's point of view. And that really resonated with me in a big way. Um, I think for, for me, you know, another book that really stood out was um, Devin Grayson and Roger Robinson's Batman Gotham Knights, which is kind of the Rosetta Stone for a lot of my work, but between that and, and, and Frank Miller's classic work. Um, because, and I've, I've actually had the opportunity to tell her this and then it was, it was very heartening for me. Um, you know, Devin does, you know, not only does she do this really, you know, she's, her pacing is immaculate. She does this really cool, like, you know, she gets the action in, but it's not overwhelming, but it's all character driven. You know, it's, 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 it's very sad Batman, um, you know, but also sometimes sad Nightwing and sometimes sad Oracle or sad Tim Drake. And um, the idea of sort of these, these, these powerful characters who are still really scarred and you know, having no place to put that, or sometimes the only place to put that is you know with each other. That really spoke to me in a big way. Um, uh, and and anytime that I'm sort of, I, I emulate Devin's work on that a lot in my work, especially trying to find the moments that are heartbreaking. Um, you know, I I always say, how do I make people cry? That is my number one objective in any book. Is um, can I, you know, can I make them cry? And then secondarily, can I make them cheer? You know, um, and then some. Distant third is, can I make them laugh? Um, I think though the book that probably launched all this, um, yeah, it was Afterlife with Archie. Um, uh, Roberto Gary Sacasa and uh, Francisco Francavilla. Um, that book really blew my mind. It was that and uh, Ed Brubaker's um, uh, and, and uh, Sean Phillips's uh, Criminal Seduction of the Innocent. I kind of read them back to back and um, seeing how flexible the Archie concept was and seeing how subversive and interesting um, those stories could be. Um, those were a huge influence for Spencer and Locke. They were a huge influence for the OZ as well. I mean, just taking sort of these innocent properties that we've all grown to know and love and finding a subversive, bleak angle on them, but one that is justified in the text, not just to be subversive for subversive sake. Um, 
that has always really interested me. Um, and that's something that I think really speaks to, to, to my sensibilities as a writer. And I do think, especially once I read uh, Afterlife with Archie, I was like, I want to make books like this. And um, I have ever since. Well, what else do you have going on? We've got the Oz annually. We've got Savage Avengers Moon Knight. I, I thought I read yeah, um, I was so excited um, uh, uh, when uh, Tom invited me uh, to join in on, on Moon Knight, Black, White and Blood. Um, I'm on the second issue of that, which I believe is coming out sometime in June um, uh, due to, you know, just supply chain stuff. You know, it, sure. the book was originally coming out the same day as Savage Avengers and it just, it got delayed a little bit, but um, yeah, you know, I, I big fan of Moon Knight, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the Ellis and Shalvey run um, was hugely influential on my own work, you know, in terms of pacing and intensity. And um, it's funny, ever since Spencer and Locke came out, uh, anytime that people had said, you know, you should write for Marvel, they always said, you should do Moon Knight. That would be a really good fit for you. I think, you know, having the street level guy with multiple personalities, that was <laughs> Spencer and Locke, you know? And, and so, um, and what's funny is I, 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 Moon Knight almost made the cut on the Savage Avengers. Um, the oh. only reason he did not was I kind of knew I needed to keep it at a core cast of, I guess that's eight, um, including Deathlock. Um, and I was just like, I don't think I can crowbar in a ninth person. Um, already, I felt like I was crowbarring in an extra person with Cloak and Dagger um, as sort of, as, as, as a singular duo that I could split off if I needed to. And um, so Moon Knight didn't make the cut. Um, you know, I was just like, I, I don't think I can make him and Anti-Venom and Black Knight work. I think it's too much overlap. But uh, I had told Tom, I was like, I really love Moon Knight. And if there's ever a chance for me to shoehorn in Moon Knight, I'm going to do it. So I think, you know, when I say these things to Tom, he listens to me. And so uh, a couple months later, he was like, hey, we're doing this anthology you want in. And so uh, I'm super excited about this. I'm working with Leonardo Romero on it. Um, uh, you might know him from his work on Hawkeye. You might know yep. him from his work on Killjoys. Um, just a spectacular artist, kind of in the in the vein of a Chris Somni. And um it's funny. He was like on the top of my list um, for, I, I gave Tom a wish list of artists and uh, I was like, Leo's at the top. I think he'd kill this. And he, lo and behold, Leo's drawing it. So we're doing kind of a fun story that kind of harkens back to my first books in Spencer and Locke, where um, Moon Knight is, uh, Mark Spector has stumbled into his favorite diner, totally beat the hell. And uh, his alter egos are waiting in his favorite booth. And so they are going to have to compare notes over who racked up which injuries doing what over the course of a single night. Uh, and so it's a fun kind of slice of life for Moon Knight, but, you know, it's Moon Knight. So there's a lot of different aspects to him. You know, we, we have opportunities to see all three of his iconic costumes. We get to see all the different alter egos, um, sort of their perspectives on things. And um, yeah, you know, it's a fun way to kind of tell a 10 page story that says, if you don't know who Moon Knight is, this is it. And it speaks to kind of my sensibilities of you get the humor, you get the action, you get sort of the emotional punchline at the end. Um, and so I'm very excited uh, for this story. And um, uh, I, I couldn't be more thrilled to be working with Leo, uh, working with uh, Chris Sotomayor on Colors, who um, I actually am a graduate of uh, Chris's uh, intro to comics coloring class at Comics Experience. Okay. Um, books would not look half as good if I hadn't learned how to do my own flatting and uh, learned how to manipulate things on, 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 on Photoshop before I talked to my colorists about it. So um, working with Chris is like coming full circle in a little bit. And so, um, 
yeah, you know, I, I, I'm really thrilled. Um, you know, it, it was kind of a little surreal. <laughs> they announced, um, I think they dropped the solicits of me on Moon Knight. It was after the Super Bowl trailer of Moon Knight. It, it, the solicits dropped like that, 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 that next week. And um, that was really cool being able to do it in the Super Bowl. I'm writing him. Um, And uh, yeah, it's just a fun character and a really fun story. And Leo is just, um, I mean, everybody knows he's a superstar, but it's really cool when he's like drawing your stuff um, as a superstar. And um, so I'm very thrilled uh, to, to be working with him on that. Well, it's been absolutely amazing. I super appreciate your candor, you know, getting to know you a little bit better. Of course. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us on the pod to talk about Savage Avengers. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. And if anybody wants to follow me, um, I'm on Twitter at PeposD. It's my last name, first initial. Uh, same thing on Instagram. I'm at David Pepos Comics on Facebook. Um, or you can subscribe to my newsletter, Pep Talks, at uh, bit.ly slash pepnews, or visit my website, davidpepos.com. All right, well, we'll include that stuff in the description. Uh, the book is set to drop in early May. Yeah, yeah. May 11th. Um, so, uh, uh, you can pre-order issue two at your local comic shop. Um, issue three should also be up for pre-orders by the time this goes live. And um, yeah, you know, we would love to have you on Savage Avengers. You know, this is uh, it's it's a fun book that I think is unlike anything going on at Marvel right now. And um, you know, it's just we've got a really fun uh, cast of characters. And uh, I think if you're a fan of Al Ewing, if you're a fan of Rick Remender, if you're a fan of Grant Morrison, uh, we're really synthesizing all these into a, kind of a fun stew. And so I can't wait for readers to get to experience it. Yeah, I'm super excited to see where you take this particular incarnation of the book. Sounds fantastic. Thank you. you know, and, and where you go in the future. I'm an Oz fan, so. Thank you. Yeah, uh, yeah we've got lots of fun stuff planned. So stay tuned because uh, I've got uh, three more announcements coming this year. Um, okay. And uh, uh, there are some really fun, exciting projects that um, uh, you combine it with Savage Avengers. And uh, this is, this is a, a big year for me. Sweet. We'll bug you down the line then. Thank you. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is Byron O'Neill for Comic Book Yeti. Thanks everyone for tuning in and see you next time. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptic Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.